everyone. I'm excited to be here with you today. My name is Chantel. And like for probably many of you, this is a new experience for me. And so we'll go on this journey together and uh, see how it goes. I, unlike Pastor Darcy, who shared with us last week, he practiced for many years into an empty auditorium. I'll admit this is my first empty auditorium experience. And um, I did try to get a little better at doing this by um, thinking that if I pulled up my photo booth um, or my webcam on my Mac computer and I preached to that, that somehow it would be the same. And it was just super distracting and super weird. So I cut that out. Um, but I'm excited to be here with you guys today, even just virtually. And um, it's just a different kind of times that we're in right now. And, um, but I'm excited to jump into our series, which is a real story. Uh, any of you like a good story? I think most of us like a good story. In fact, some of my favorite stories and movies tend to be the ones based on true stories. Those just seem to be the ones that I connect with more and that I resonate with more. Uh, at Christmas time, my husband and I discovered a movie. Um, sometimes I get afraid of sharing movie titles, um, but I'll share this one. It was called Insta Family, and it was on Netflix. Uh, it has a few strange things in it, so be careful if you're watching with very small children. Uh, but overall, it was absolutely hilarious and heartwellingly beautiful. It is about a couple who decided to foster kids instead of having their own kids, and it shares the trials and the triumphs uh, through it all in a very real and accurate way. Uh, my husband kept watching me, though, during this movie and smiling. And I was like, why are you watching me right now? Uh, this is such a good movie. You're going to miss it. And I kept trying to convince him to watch the screen. And he's like, he says to me, I'm just amazed. I don't think I've ever seen you so into a movie before. Well, a little history. I've been told that sometimes I can be an annoying person to watch a movie with because I often like to multitask during movies. Um, I bring my computer to get work done uh, or my agenda to make plans. I'll fiddle on my phone, do some scrolling or catch up on text. And sometimes I've even been known to pull out my journal and just write down random thoughts that are polluting my brain. And as I'm saying these things out loud, I'm realizing, yes, I'm probably very annoying to watch a movie with and I will work on this. But with this movie, he pointed out, I was on the edge of my seat and hanging on every word. Well, yes, the movie did have some kind of humor. And well, it had Mark Wahlberg in it, which I like him because he's funny and no other reason. And he's actually hysterically funny to me for some reason. And, but this movie had to do with fostering and adopting, which is also very dear to my heart. But most importantly, it's because it was a true story. And there's something about stories, especially true ones, that helps draw us in and connect us. And we are in the middle of a series right now called True Story. And I think that this next part of the story you will have no trouble connecting with, or at least I hope not. Because Pastor Darcy did an awesome job last week answering a powerful question that so many of us are probably wrestling with right now. With everything that's going on in our world, he talked about the brokenness of sin and why evil exists in this 
world. If you haven't listened to it, I encourage you to go and have a listen. The perfect world that God had created for his beloved creation was distorted by the choices that man made. Sin and shame entered the world for the first time, and the earth went from bad to worse as people did an incredible job at making a mess of their world and their lives. Thankfully, the story of reality that we're telling doesn't end there, and I get to pick up the next chapter of it. And let let me remind you, just like other pastors have shared throughout this whole series, I want to say what story we believe really matters. What story we believe about our world, what we believe about our lives, about others, about God, this will have a dramatic effect on the way we live and view our lives. Because stories are how we make sense of our world. So as I introduce you, this next character in this next chapter of this story Uh, I will aim to address who Jesus said he was and what he came to do. So for starters, who is Jesus? (laughs) Well, Jesus was a real person. He was not a myth or a legend, but a real person that has been recorded about in history. To some of you watching, that might seem very obvious. And for others of you, maybe you're skeptical, and that's okay too. But for the sake of time, I can't really go too deeply into this. And there's other people who have gone way more deep into this who um, have, will do a much better job at telling you the why behind all of this. Um, but one thing I found just interesting while I was doing this research is that amongst historical scholars, there's actually no disputes, Christian or not, whether they believed in Jesus or not, believed in Christianity or not, that Jesus lived, there is no dispute about this. All historical scholars would agree that he was a real historical character who walked this earth and died after being crucified. Those things are never the debate. Okay? There is enough historical proof about that that they don't need to prove that. So if you want to learn a little bit more about this, I highly recommend uh, a book that I read in college. It's by Lee Strobel, and it's called The Case for Christ. It's a super interesting read. There's actually a movie about it, the true story about his life on Netflix, um, which is a great movie to watch. Go for it. Uh, But the book just dives into this stuff just so much more. So if you haven't grabbed it, I encourage you to do that. And seeing as how we are still talking about This Jesus of Nazareth, okay, thousands of years after he walked the earth, thousands of years after his death, and now he still has, he has so many followers. I googled it for just curiosity's sake, and it says that there's two billion followers around the world. Okay? I don't know where you're from right now, but around the world, apparently right now, there's around 2 billion people that consider themselves Christians or followers of Jesus. Well, with that being the case, I think it's safe to say that the Jesus of Nazareth was a man of history who made a profound impact on history. A profound impact. So Jesus isn't just a myth. And the Christian faith is not based on a legend, but rather it's grounded in actual historical events of the person of Jesus. 
So now that we've established that, that Jesus did exist and historically walked the earth, in order for the story of reality of Christianity that we're talking about, the one that Christianity is based on, we also have to realize that Jesus was more than just a man. He was more than just a human being. This is absolutely key to understanding this whole story. Jesus, when he was on this earth, made some bodacious claims. Some that would seem insane. It got him into trouble. And he knew what he was doing when he said these things. He said things that no one was allowed to say at this time. He says things like, he existed before he was born. That he could forgive sins. He says... He is the drink for the thirsty and bread for the hungry, so they will never thirst again. He said things like, those who trust in him will live and never die. And in John 10.30, he claimed that him and the Father are one. And if you actually look into the Greek meaning of that word one, it means the same thing. It means one in nature. It means one in essence. The the crowd in this story picked up the stones to kill him for making those types of claims. Because those types of claims were unfathomable. They were unthinkable. They were unforgivable. And they were deserving of death. And that's exactly what he got for them. It led to his death sentence. There's a quote uh, by Gregory Kukul, who writes the Story of Reality book, Um, that we've been using to follow in this series. And he says, if you or I said the kinds of things that Jesus said, the words would sound (laughs) preposterous, of course. Insane talk, irrational babble. But they do not sound preposterous coming from him because Jesus does not just talk. He acts. He says he is bread of life. Then he multiplies bread to feed thousands. Twice. He says he is the resurrection and the life. Then he raises a dead man to life. He says he is light of the world. Then he gives light to the sight of a man born blind. Jesus was not just crucified for what he did. He was crucified for who he said he was. Now, (laughs) there could be a lot of people who could claim to be God. You know, you can claim to be God. You're person sitting beside you could claim to be God, but not many people that could, you know, who claim to be God could die and rise again three days later, which is exactly what happened. But I won't skip ahead because Pastor Darcy will be covering those things in the following weeks. So with all this in mind, I would like you to turn with me to the most important verse in this whole part of the story. In John 1, verse 14, the New Living Translation says, So the Word, Christ, became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. Another version says, I love this version, the message. In John 1, 14, he says, The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one-of-a-kind glory, like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. God moved into our neighborhood. He met us where we are at. 
He came to our level. He experienced the things that we experience and some. He grew up on earth. He experienced triumph and trial, heartbreak and pain, temptation, and yet overcame it without giving in. Gregory Kukul says, this, I think, is the greatest line in the story. Making the world from nothing was a stunning work of wonder, to be sure. God becoming one of us, however, walking with us, being near us, knowing human joy, sharing human sorrow, is beyond wonderful. It is sublime. The God who began the story, the God who made everything, is the same God who came down, who became flesh, who entered history as a baby born in Bethlehem. Jesus is a man, but he is also God. He is not a God, but the God. He is the man who God became. He is the one person who is completely human, yet fully divine. Philippians goes on to say it this way in Philippians 2 verse 5. You must have the same attitude that Christ had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Craig Groeschel, uh, a pastor that I really like to follow, says it this way. God could have shouted his love from heaven, but instead he showed it to us on earth. God could have shouted his love from heaven, but instead he showed it to us on earth. So now that we've established that Jesus was both God and man, we need to address what he came for. Because there's some confusion about this. Jesus did come for a specific purpose. And a lot of people, they're drawn to the excellent morality of Jesus. Wow, what a good man. And they stop there. But that's not the main thing he came to do. For instance, Jesus didn't come to just restore social justice, even though that's a great thing. And if you're a part of our church, you know how much we love this. We love our community. We're involved in our community. We run programs uh, for youth to feed them food who need it and to put them in relationship with caring adults who want to just love on them. And we open our doors and partner with our local food bank, Lows and Fishes, so that we can serve clients weekly and that families don't have to go without food. We love this. But that's not what Jesus came to do, even though we do it because of what God's done in us. Also, Jesus didn't come to teach us how to live a better life. Even though he did teach us how to live, and we want to live the way that he teaches us to live. <laughs> Jesus teaches us things like to love God and to love others and gives many practical instructions instructions for our lives that if you apply his teachings can make a radical and profound difference in your life. I've actually seen it that people who do not follow God or do not, you know, follow Jesus, once they've applied biblical principles and Jesus's teaching into their lives, they've seen incredible results from it because it's true. Who, I dare you, honestly, I dare you, go and, and start loving on your neighbor. Go and start caring about others. See if that bites you in the butt. No, go and forgive, you know, that person that hurt you a long time ago that you've been hanging on to and the bitterness is just unraveling you. Yeah, go forgive them and see what happens. I've seen it 
time and time again, these truths are amazing and they will do incredible works in people's lives. But that's not just what he came to do. He came for even more than this. Jesus' teaching and the story itself focuses on something else, Kukul says. Not on the works of Christians, but rather on the work of Christ. That is what the story teaches. Because in John 3.17, it says it beautifully from the Passion Translation. God did not send his son into the world to judge and condemn the world, but to be its savior and to rescue it. In Luke 19.10, it says, the, the Son of Man has come to seek out and to give life to those who are lost. The specific purpose that Jesus came for was to save us. It was to rescue us. It was to give life to those who were dying. Jesus coming to, he, he was coming to rescue God's beloved creation. That is the good news. For Jesus to come down to our level, to walk into our neighborhood, and trade his perfect life for ours as a part of God's rescue mission, that's the good news. He stepped into the brokenness of our world for us to be able to experience wholeness. That is the good news. When I think of the word rescue, I think of my very short career as a lifeguard. I will tell you a story of uh, when I was a, a lifeguard, even though this story doesn't have to do with the pool. When I was 17, um, I was going through my lifeguarding training, and I had done some first aid training. And I was uh, just, you know, so into this. I loved this. I immersed myself into it. And one day I was driving with my mom, and I saw a car accident happen right in front of me. We were the next, the car in front of us had ran a yellow, and the car coming from the other side had turned on a yellow and T-boned the other car. Well, it T-boned the car in front of us, which swung it around and then hit another car. So this poor woman that was inside this car got hit not once, but twice. And right away, I see bystanders going and running to the car. And I said, Mom, I've got to help. So I jump out of the car and I run over to her and I'm replaying everything that I had learned in my life savings class, every all the first aid things. And all of a sudden, some bystanders trying to tell her, oh, just hold on, ma'am. We'll get you out of the car. And which I said, no, I just learned about this. Don't touch her. Sweetheart, don't move. I don't know if I said sweetheart, but I would have now. I would have now. <laughs> don't move. And I told her not to move, to stay where she was. And I said, we can't move her until the paramedics come, just in case she has a spinal injury. And we could do more damage than good. And um, anyways, so they, they said, okay. I, they went and called the ambulance. And I was, I was talking with this woman through her cracked open window. I was asking her her name. I was asking her age. Asked her what she had done that day, what she had eaten, all those things, and just trying to assess how she was doing cognitively. And um, I waited for the paramedics to come. And when they arrived, I, you know, feeling pretty proud of myself, was like, you know what? We kept her. We didn't move her. I don't know if she has a spinal. I don't know what's going on. They're like, get out of here, kid, basically. But okay, thank you. <laughs> thank you, honey. And, um, you know, I, I just felt so proud of myself. Like, ha like, I nailed this. This was awesome. And, um, and so I go back to the car feeling like, you know, a few inches taller and, uh, you know, blushing because I'm so proud of myself. 
And um, just, wow, so thankful that I was there to help that person. And I get into the car expecting that my mom is going to like just, you know, fill me with praises. Like, wow, Chantel, that was amazing. But instead, with a little smirk on her face, she, she says snarkly, hey, Chantel, the next time you plan to be a rescue hero, try putting the car in park. <laughs> Um, what? (laughs) She said, you jumped out of the car, but you took your foot off the brake and didn't put the car in park, and we started going through the intersection. (laughs) I was like, what? Like, all my pride, all the boasting that was revving up inside of me just evaporated and turned into humble smuck. Like, I was so embarrassed. I was like, are you kidding me? Who does that? She's like, clearly you do, but it's okay. I reached over and put the car, pressed the brake, and was able to put the car in park. (sighs) It was very humbling. And thankfully, unlike my story, in this story of reality that we've been telling, Jesus being the rescue hero in this story wasn't an impromptu decision. It wasn't an improvised moment or a quick reaction to an accident. No, this was a part of God's plan all along to get his people back. Um, in, in fact, if you want to read the best version of this story where Jesus... Um, is their rescue hero, is laced throughout the entire book, I encourage you to invest in the Jesus Storybook Bible. It's a kid's storybook Bible. And if you have kids, you honestly need to get it. But even if you don't have a kid, I started reading this to my son when he was four weeks old because, um, I don't know, I didn't know what four weeks old were into, but I heard this book was good. It was a little past his um, attention span, but I got a lot out of it. I couldn't believe it. I was like, this is the most well-written book ever. I think every Christian needs to read this book. And if you're not a Christian or you're a new Christian and you're just like, whatever, man, the Bible's confusing. I honestly tell you, pick up this book and read it and you will see how Jesus is laced throughout it. So I want to read something from the Jesus Storybook Bible. Um, It's in the Old Testament of this book. Before Jesus was born on earth, it says, so all this is paraphrased from this author, I can't stop loving you. This is God speaking. You are my heart's treasure, but I lost you. Now I'm coming back for you. I'm going to send my messenger, the promised one, the one you have been waiting for, the rescuer. It had taken century for God's people to be ready, but now the time had almost come for the best part of God's plan. God himself was going to come, not to punish his people, but to rescue them. Then we, if you skip ahead to the New Testament part of this storybook Bible, it says, He came as a baby, born a humble birth, to a virgin teenage girl named Mary in an old stable where donkeys and horses stayed. And there in the stable amongst the chicken and the donkeys and the cows, in the quiet of the night, God gave the world his wonderful gift. The baby that would change the world was born, his baby son. Mary and Joseph named him Jesus, which means Emmanuel, which means God has come to live with us. Because, of course, he has. God's rescue mission looked like his rescue mission, including getting his children back, healing their hearts, getting rid of the poison that was killing them, the poison called sin. Well, I, I got so much out of that. Because Jesus came to earth 
to save us from sin. He came to save sinners. This, <laughs> that's something that we hear so often, yet we, we don't really get what it means. To save means to rescue from imminent danger. Jesus came to rescue us because we were in danger. Sin isn't just breaking the rules. We saw that in Pastor Darcy's message last week. Sin destroys, sin distorts, sin twists, sin breaks, sin corrupts, and sin ruins lives. The Jesus Storybook Bible actually calls it exactly what it is. It's poison, and poison kills. When I was talking to Pastor Dallas on the phone this past week about this message, we were talking about the idea of Jesus rescuing us. And, it, and we were, he was saying, or we were talking about it, that it's like God's creation was drowning. The way they were, and they were just drowning, they were, in the, they were too far out, they weren't going to make it. And they couldn't do it on their own. And God sends Jesus to earth instead of just instructing us on the side of the pool or from the shoreline, telling those, that drowning creation how to get out or what to reach for. No. Instead of just telling us what to do, he gets into the water. Instead of throwing us an inflatable and hope we can catch it despite how tired we are from barely surviving and from fighting to keep our heads above water, he jumps in. He gets soaked. He immerses in the mess with us. He walked into our neighborhood. God's people were so far into their own mess, so far out to sea, so far out of their depth, but Jesus jumped in and he rescued them and he scooped them up and he saved them. This is the unique aspect of what separates Christianity from other religions. We're saved by God's grace, not our works or our efforts. The story of Christianity isn't based on what we did or what we do, but Christianity is based on what Jesus has already done, and he's already come to rescue us. So I want to ask you, do you believe what Jesus has said about himself? We can have all the facts about Jesus, but at some point, things need to go beyond just the facts. That's what Dar Darlene and I were talking about this week. Our faith needs to engage in this process if you want to experience his grace in your life. And maybe some of you believe in Jesus. That's not the issue. But with everything going on right now, you need the reminder to take it one step further. And do you trust him? Do you trust him? You do not have to hide your mess from him. Maybe right now you're feeling pretty far out of your depth, like you're drowning in your own mess. Never mind the messy state that our world is in. Never mind the fact that we're in a crisis, we're in a pandemic, we're in a state of emergency, and yet some of us still have our own crises and our own states of emergency happening within us. 
This is just a reminder to you that in this whole story we've been talking about, God is the pursuer of your heart. This rescue mission was his idea. So come as you are. He's pursuing you. Don't wait for you to feel like you're out of the mess. He stepped off his throne to come into our messy world, and he's certainly not afraid of walking into your messy world. So what's the mess that you're finding yourself in that you need him to rescue you from? Where do you need his grace? I want you to do something a little different with me. I'm going to ask you to pause for a moment. Pause and close your eyes. And I want you to picture that mess. That part of you or that part of your world that just feels like it is such a mess, that it is so broken that you can't even see the end of it. It might be a reoccurring fight with a bad habit or a strong addiction that you haven't been able to beat. It might be your family. It could be your relationships with your kids, with your spouse, with your parents, a sibling that you feel is such a mess right now. It might be the weight of anxiety and fear of the unknown that you feel like you're being crushed under it right now. It might be the insecurities or the negative thoughts about yourself that you can't seem to fight off anymore. It might be the state of your heart and how broken it feels and like it can never be mended or put back together again. I want you to picture that mess, that brokenness. And I want you to picture right now with your eyes closed, Jesus physically walking into that mess with you. And the reminder is to you is that he's not afraid of that mess. He doesn't shame you for that mess. He's not the pet parent that wipes your nose in your mess because you made a mistake. He doesn't do that. It's not his nature. He wants to be invited into your mess though that he can help you in that mess. He wants to be there with you. Stephen Furtick says it this way, God exposes sin not to shame us, but to change us. He, Jesus was God's rescue plan, and he is still the rescuer now. And just with one more thing I want you to do, if your eyes are still closed, in the Bible it says to cast your cares and your worries and your burdens and your anxieties onto him because he cares for you. So now I want you to picture yourself casting the weight of those cares that you've been carrying, the weight of those burdens, the weight of those anxieties. I want you to picture yourself physically casting them onto Jesus, casting them onto him. And I'm going to invite the worship team back up right now. <clears throat> Jesus is our rescuer. It's what he came to earth to be. And it's what he'll always be. What do you need from him today? He's here for you today. In a time of social isolation and in social distancing, in a time of crisis and in fear and in uncertainty, he is the ever-constant, never-changing savior and rescuer of your soul. And as this worship team, they're going to sing a song for us. And it's called The Way. And uh, I'm going to 
this this song has a special place in my heart because um, this song got me through one of the darkest times of my life. And there was just a series of, of losses that had happened, um, just a lot of um, people passing away who should not have passed away, a lot of young people, in about a six-month span. And I was a wreck. I was a mess. I was so broken. I was so angry. And I just, I needed someone to blame. And so Jesus just let me put on the punching gloves and go at him while I cried, while I wept, while I didn't know if I could get through this, and while I felt such deep loss. And after I was done with the punching gloves, he was there just to hold me. And he got me through it. He got me through it. And I just need to tell someone here today that he's going to get you through it. He's going to get you through it. And the words of this song says, I believe that you are the way, the truth, and the life. I believe through every battle, through every heartbreak, through every circumstance, I believe you are my fortress, you are my portion, you are my hiding place. I set my eyes on you. It's a new horizon, and I'm set on you. You meet me here today with mercies that are new. All my fears and doubts, they can all come to because they can't stay long when I'm here with you. So I encourage you, wherever you are, to turn towards Jesus in your confusion, with your doubts, with your fears, in your mess. And I, invite, I tell you to invite him in. Invite his grace in. And I want to encourage you that this story that we've been telling is not over yet. And your story is not over yet. I'm just going to pray for you. Jesus we need you. If there's ever been a time where that's more noticeable uh, for many of us, I don't know. But God, we need you now. We recognize that this life is wild and crazy and this world is broken. And Jesus, many of us feel broken right now. Many of us feel like we're helpless or hopeless or that just the weight of the world and everything is too much for us. And God, we just invite you in. We invite you into our chaos. We invite you into our mess. We invite you to have your way in us, Jesus. And I just pray, God, that you would just surround every person that is feeling lonely right now, that is feeling isolated right now, and that they would be reminded of the truth that you are with them, that you are right there with with them and God that you're not going anywhere and Lord Jesus we just pray for your comfort Holy Spirit we pray for your encouragement for the heart that is just feeling so down or heavy and we just ask you Jesus for you to continue to do your rescue mission in our lives you continue to heal us you continue to um, restore what was broken God thank you Jesus and you continue to make us whole. We thank you for that, God. We thank you, Jesus, for your gift. We love you. And amen. You can take it away, worship team. Through every battle, through 
every heartache, through every circumstance, I believe that you are my fortress, oh, you are my portion, you are my hiding place. I believe you are the way, the truth, the life. I believe you are the way, the truth, the life. I believe through every You're the one that comes to walk into our mess. And so, Jesus, we're so thankful for the life that you come and you give. Your presence with us. So, Lord, I pray for my friends right now, wherever they are, tuning in, streaming, listening to the podcast. 
Jesus, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would strengthen their hearts, give them courage to face this new day, that they would see a new horizon filled with your love and your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for tuning in to Generations Church live stream this morning. We're so glad that you are here with us. God bless you. Have a great day. If there's anything that we can do for you, get a hold of us. Uh, we're still available. Special thanks to our tech crew that works so hard, especially Pastor Ryan putting stuff together. It's just a difficult thing to make this work well and to do it well. And we're so grateful for a talented group of, of tech people that have really put some hard work into making this happen. So God bless you. Thanks so much for tuning in.